you've just met someone and the conversation leads to the inevitable question. So, what do you do? A simple question calls for a simple answer. But what if your answer is never simple? What if your answer defies the societal norms? What does career happiness mean to you? This show dives into convention-breaking career choices, uncovering narratives of working professionals, and creating a space for those who wish to pursue their passions. This is So What Do You Do? Hey guys! Welcome to So What Do You Do? Today in the studio, we have Edward Pokropsky. So Edward, what do you do? Oh wow, you gotta start right right into it. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I like how you guys were in unison too, that was, that was sweet. Um, so I work as a writer, producer, director, and editor for NBC Universal, and specifically um, the cable network Universal Kids, which is kind of like their 24-7 cable network. And I make extended content off of some of the shows they have, you know, YouTube content, promos on air, a little bit of everything. Um, and I also am a stand-up comedian after after work on my da- uh, my night job. But I do stand-up comedy, and I also produce and host a, an all-Asian stand-up and variety, like, late-night show called Unwashed Comedy. And the variety version of that is called Night Market. So that's a little bit of what I do. I, I also now have a podcast as well. So I'm trying to do a little bit of everything in media. <laughs> like, everyone is, you know, you can't just do one thing anymore. You got mm-hmm. you to touch a little bit of everything. So that's that's in the long-winded way is what I do right now. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just to back it up a little bit, maybe you could tell us a little more about your background. Sure. So I am, uh, well, you can't tell because it's a podcast and I guess there will be a picture of me if you look at the thing, but I'm Asian American and that would be weird if I had an Asian American show and wasn't Asian American, though I guess people do, <laughs> I guess people do, do that, um, which is part of the problem. But no, I, um, so my name uh, is Edward Pokropsky. I talk about this a lot in my set and, my, and, and a lot of my, the stuff that I talk about is I'm adopted. I'm adopted Korean. Uh, found in Seoul, and I was adopted when I was about 19 months old, and I lived in uh, California for a short period of time, but then uh, moved with my mom and my adopted brother to uh, Philadelphia, and grew up mainly in Philadelphia since I was like six. So I grew up in Philadelphia and went to uh, school there, went to college there, and eventually got into you know media partway through college, and have love well love hate love hate relationship with media and everything <laughs> ever since so that's kind of like the the short the short bio uh, and i guess with stand up comedy i've i've only recently gotten to that in the last 3 years i moved to new york for work about 5 years ago i'd been thinking about stand up comedy for a while but i had wanted to do something outside of work that was still you know writing related and still something a little bit more about myself um and stand up comedy was being in new york is like the mecca of and if you're going to do it anywhere you might you should do it here um or you know it's 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 competitive and it's hard and it's uh but it's great and it's you know there's so many opportunities to at least try and find out if you can hack it or if you can't um so i was excited to kind of give it a shot while being here in new york while i can yeah that's awesome yeah Yeah. and one question that we like to ask all of our guests is what are three adjectives you would use to describe yourself oh right i saw this um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's yeah that's hard well one i i I think i go back to uh, a lot is the word is underdog and i think being from philly i I felt like felt like that 
Um, Philly is a, a city of underdogs, and I think that's something we are proud of. Um, but I also think about, you know, uh, Asian Americans in media now, and even, you know, when I started or, you know, even three years ago or whatever you want to say, I think we're underdogs and I think we're trying and we're fighting for a lot of things uh, in media. And so I think it's it's a perfect word for so many reasons for me culturally, but also just that's, I always consider myself a Philly kid and under underdog's a good word for it. And then hungry, which is both in the same vein of, <laughs> underdog but also just generally hungry and like to I like to eat <laughs> I like to eat and I like to you know I like to watch a lot of food shows and you know go out to restaurants and try different things and, and cook a little bit in spare time so hungry in every single sense of the metaphorical sense and the literal sense and then oh god I'm here at NYU and I can't even think of a third word um, uh, oh tenacious all those fall under the same category of just continuing to try and you, you fail you, you you pick up you try again you fail again you know and I think that's those all kind of encapsulate what I think would describe me though I hate talking about myself in that way but sure you asked me so three words there they are <laughs> no that's great yeah. yeah that's really great um and I know you mentioned you majored in film and tv and communications in yeah. college what do you think it was about studying that that really helped you in your current career path well, the f I, I was fortunate enough to stick with film and television for my career path. I know for a lot of people that doesn't always happen, you know, going into studying a certain uh, thing. And especially with film and television, you don't always necessarily get the opportunity to stay in that for your full career. I, you know, I know a lot of people um, that just sort of switched over at some point, not not for any bad reason, but just it happens. And so I think the one thing I think college and film school did get me prepared for at the time was trying to be versatile and, and uh, adaptable and like learning a little bit of everything. I think at the time I did think at some point I would, you know, kind of narrow that down and say, well, this is, I, I want to be a director. I want to be a writer. I want to focus on one or one or two things tops. But as I was finishing up and getting out into the media world, it seemed more and more like there was this shift to people doing a little bit of everything or having more than one skill that they could, you know, use. And for better or for worse, I think there's sometimes where that can be taken advantage of and I, you know, in, in a bad way. And I think there's sometimes where that can be utilized in a good way. So I think college did at least prepare me for the idea that you're going to have to keep learning and keep up with the technology and not just say, all right, I'm well, that's it. Like now even more so technology changes every three months maybe, you know, or a new plugin gets added or a new filter or a new camera or a new lens. Like, and if you just sit by and don't like pay attention and keep up with that stuff, you're going to, you're going to be a dinosaur pretty quickly. Yeah. And along the way, are there some people who have inspired you to take on this career path? Originally, I went to school and started out just straight business communications because that was to me a safe way to just kind of get into something I thought about maybe advertising or I thought writing in some way and I thought, well, this would be any and communications would be a catch all term that would maybe like get me into something in that range. So one of my first internships was at a health insurance company, just being an intern for a place called Independence Blue Cross. And it was just basically helping out with their like doctor communications, just the just the newsletter stuff they sent out to doctors. And that was it. Pretty straightforward, cut and dry. But I met this guy who was, I think at the time he was a website designer for our team and he was just like a contractor. And like one time, 
on a uh, casual Friday, I took the term casual Friday too far and I wore like a Ghostbusters t-shirt to work, <laughs> um, which, you know, for, for being a college kid, I was just like, oh, this will be cool. Um, so I wore a Ghostbusters t-shirt and he was like, oh, cool. You like that movie? I was actually on the set of the original movie of the original Ghostbusters. I was like, what? Uh, you know, again, being 19 and in school, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and like geeked out. And I was like, what do you like? How did you get on set? He's like, well, I went to I went to film school at the time and I knew uh, one of the actors in it, his son. I knew his son and he was friends with me, so he got me on the set. And he was just telling me about all the ins and outs and some stuff he did in film school. And I just thought that was really cool and I didn't think about it like, I had never talked to anyone that had a career in it and like, you know, stayed in that creative space um, mm -hmm. oh, and been, had been on a movie set that I know. So I never encountered anyone that could like tell me that that was real and that happened. <laughs> It'd been so far out of the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. But this guy like had been there and he told me about it. And I was like, this is so cool. So when I got back to school f that following uh, semester, I looked into it and was like, oh, maybe I could take some electives in film or, or writing or whatever. I had some electives, free electives I could take. And I was just like, well, let me let me just take a few or photography or just something in that range. And I I took like a filmmaking 101 class and I loved it and I was like oh mm -hmm. this oh this is why I've been like doodling things or, or writing this thing out or this, this is what I've been missing mm -hmm. and when I took that I was switched like I switched my major over I switched all my classes and I was just like I gotta I gotta give this a shot and the following semester I got an internship at like a production house in Philly and sort of set myself on the path that would be where I'm at now mm -hmm. so um it was it was you know, and I think that's the thing is sometimes it can be one. I know it sounds cheesy and, and like a movie cliche, though. <laughs> I guess that's where I come from. It's sometimes it can be as simple as one day, one conversation, one moment that you sort of sticks in your brain and then, you know, incepts it and st sparks what you end up doing next. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> kind of going into um, people's reactions when you tell them that you're a writer and comedian, how do they usually respond to that? Yeah, it depends on what they do, I think, sometimes. You know, if there's someone, which is, here's something funny that I feel like happens a lot. If it's someone in the Asian-American community, because often I'll go to, like, you know, organization meetings or nonprofit groups or just something like that, and, and I'll meet someone who's, like, they're successful themselves. Like, they are a lawyer or they are in finance and they work at Deloitte or something, like a <laughs> reputable place. And I'll say like, oh, yeah, I, I well, I work in television, but I also do stand up comedy. And that's the thing they latch on to. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. And I'm like, well, what do you do? And they're like, nothing. It's boring. It's stupid. <laughs> uh, I work in like finance for Deloitte. And I'm like, oh, oh, sorry. You, <laughs> you work at one of the largest uh, finance firms and like make a lot of money and are probably really smart, too. Like, it, it, like I think the natural, you know, the natural thing for some people for Asian Americans do is kind of neg on themselves and be like, well, my, it's not fun. It's not cool. And it's like, you know, I think having financial stability and living in a nice place in New York is pretty cool. So <laughs> I, you know, so I try to always be like, well, this is just what I, I, I would be doing something like that if that's the skill set I had. Like, honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just would, this is, my brain doesn't work like that. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are just like, oh, that's cool. Or who do you? they usually ask me what comedians I like or who I'm listening to. Sometimes they'll pitch me a joke that they have. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm okay. or sometimes the worst. And this is any comedian you'll ask. The worst is if they ask you to tell them a joke like, oh, tell well, what's one of your jokes? And he's like, that's mm -hmm. it, it'd be like if you asked a singer or, or a musician, like, 
well, can you can you hum something or can you sing something right now? And it's like, no, it's not how it works. And then I'm not like a, a performing monkey, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think, it, and not that that's like, you know, that's all from a good place, I get it, but it's it's the one thing that I think a lot of people who say that they do comedy, they get that a lot, right. yeah. For your stand-up shows, how do you choose which stories you want to tell and then how do you like form in a way where it'll be engaging to the audiences you think it's a lot of trial and error you know you, you go to open mics or you go you know you do shows and you just you know you're trying stuff out I mean the the, the tricky part is when you're at open mics you're only you're mostly with just comics mm -hmm. and that sensibility is very different from a show with a, a wide range of backgrounds and sensibilities and senses of humor so um, I think you're always tweaking and and sometimes it's like if it's an older crowd, you might skew a little bit like not as, you know, if you have some more racy material, you might ease that back a little bit, though mm -hmm. some comics, you know, will say you shouldn't change. Mm -hmm. And some people sort of like just, okay, maybe I won't tell that joke about whatever, something really like <laughs> a little bit too sexual or something because the crowd seems a bit older. Mm -hmm. And and I think some people self-edit on the day when they like get a peek or maybe they've heard the comic before them and they're like, oh, they did a lot of that and it didn't go well, so let me, I'll pivot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it all depends on the day. It depends on the crowd. It depends on a lot of factors. I think for me, I'm always trying to balance like what is a personal story, what is something that might be topical, what is something that is universal and you're trying to like create that stew and mix all that stuff up and find the the right balance right yeah, yeah. wow that's wow. really cool <laughs> yeah. do you think there are any misconceptions that people hold either about the entertainment industry or maybe the industry of comedy yeah both is that you make <laughs> a lot of money um uh, that the, that's i think one of the biggest misconceptions is that like any job in it you make a lot of money and that's not the case there's there's a lot of different grades and versions and and jobs you can do within media even just the top you know yeah your top tier comedians certain you know a small percentage can either make a living or are your you know headliners like an Ali Wong or or um, you know that level that are doing Netflix specials or Dave Chappelle or something um, but you know you still have a long list of people who are just trying to figure it out and I, with comedy specifically though I think another one is that for people that I see like try it for the first time or try it like without like taking some stock or like talking to other people or any research I think the thought is that you can just go up there and it's just like talking it's just mm -hmm. like telling a story and it is to some extent but like there's so much crafting and building and repetition and like tweaking of a word here or there that I think some people just think like oh I have funny thoughts I'll just go up and say those thoughts because mm -hmm. certain comedians make it look so easy but they've that's only because they've told it a hundred different ways in a hundred different rooms and failed so many times right. that you when you see it and it's in its like perfect form that you're like rolling on the floor laughing is because it came from all that and it mm -hmm. wasn't just a you know th some people can do that obviously the improv they can just come up and they're instantly funny they just say hello and you're losing your mind <laughs> but most most people it's you know it's a it's a journey <laughs> to, right. to, to not to sound too cheesy yeah right and you mentioned before that during the day you produce shows for NBC yeah and then at night you produce your show unwashed comedy mm-hmm and can you explain a little bit more about what your day-to-day -day job looks like and if you have any advice for our listeners who wish to pursue careers in, like, various avenues? Sure. Mm -hmm. So uh, my day-to-day -day now uh, is, you know, very much... So I work on what's falls under the umbrella. It's called, you know, brand creative, which just means is a fancy way of saying, um, you know, keeping the, the brand of, you know, a network 
consistent across, you know, every single thing that you put out there. So we take, you know, the shows that we have, you know, some of the shows we've done are uh, Top Chef Junior, um, American Ninja Warrior Junior. So it's like the kid versions of some NBC shows amongst, you know, some other animated shows, too. But those are the ones that people kind of recognize the most. Mm -hmm. And what um, the team that I'm on now, what we do is sort of like we do promos for that. So it's promoting, you know, when to you can find it, you know, when you can watch it on the air. But then it's also taking um, pieces of it and then cutting it differently for YouTube or cutting it differently for social posts. Um, or it's also taking it and possibly shooting something brand new, you know, reacting to it or, uh, you know, doing a different take on it. There's all that's the thing with media now is like you're trying to chop up everything into so many new pieces because everyone just wants so much content mm -hmm. from the things that they like. Um, so my day to day, it depends. Sometimes I do a lot of editing, um, you know, video editing, and that's a long portion of my day. Um, then sometimes if it's like getting ready for a shoot, I'm producing and setting up for that shoot and getting the pieces together. Um, you know, in the past, it's been if it's the shoot is happening, I've been on set and directing the shoot itself. Oh, yeah. And then sometimes it's like if, if there's a script to be written for it, it's just it's it's writing out the actual script and getting that approved. So mm -hmm. uh, the day to days, it, you know, it's different. It's different. It really is different from mm -hmm. time to time. Um, and then in terms of um, advice for people, I think it's wherever you want to be, just go where that thing is happening. Find the way to go there, whether it's an internship or um, an entry level thing, or even if it's like especially media, if you if there's shows going on or, or or people just doing the thing that you want to be a part of, just go and try to be around that, those people and consume as much of it as you can um, and think about it in the way that you want to approach it or be a part of it. Because mm -hmm. um, whenever I had the opportunity to, you know, just be an intern or production assistant on set, um, you know, I would sit there and be, I would try to pay attention and see who's doing what and how is this being said and what's happening here. And you try to pull all that in and say, if it was my, me doing it, when my time comes, hopefully if it comes, how, how would I approach that? Or is that the take that I would take, you know, mm -hmm. and you're just doing this in your head. And I think that just helps you get into the practice, you know, hopefully when you're, when your number's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know you mentioned you worked on a lot of different shows like American Indoor Warrior Junior, um, Top Chef Junior, and also Sunny Side Up. Yeah. Um, what do you think are some challenges of working specifically when your audience is a younger demographic and especially when uh, they're at a stage in their life that is so critical and they're easily influenced? Sure. Well, I will talk mainly about Sunny Side Up because that's the show that I like worked on the most um, directly. Um, you know, the other two I was doing more of the, 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 the other work that I was saying, like the extra extended content stuff. Mm -hmm. But Sunny Side Up was unique because it was a live show. Um, which is, you know, unique for kids. And it was for the youngest set audience that, you know, there is out there, which is the preschool set, the ages of roughly two to six at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and the biggest challenge and the most important part was that like this, yeah, it's, they just got here and they're trying to learn everything. And you think something might be, you know, what color is this? You know, you, here's an apple. <laughs> and they're like, mm -hmm. wait, what's an apple? You know, so right. I think it's like, you're really trying to find but, you know, bringing these things into their world um, in a really memorable way. And then you're also trying to think of the parents, too, that, you know, they're going to have to sit through this. And if mm -hmm. they're going to want to sit through this, you have to think about them as well. And at that time, 
you also want it to be safe. Preschool content has the strictest FCC regulations um, and standards and practices behind it of all television. Mm -hmm. So it's not, you know, when you think about certain reality shows or things like that, like it's, it's, it's really whatever you want, you know, it's like yeah. whatever. You know, sometimes when I've told them I've worked in kids content, they're like, oh, okay, that's cool, whatever. You know, And, and I, I try to tell people like kids content has follows the same rules in terms of shooting stuff. Right? But now add on top of that, it's got to be safe. You can't be selling anything. You, you've got to be able to make ABCs feel new and fresh and exciting and fun and, mm -hmm. you know, have it work so we worked with a lot of great people we had a curriculum consultant and she was a child psychologist so she was our you know person who would say oh you really should like set it out like this visually that will help the kids retain it better mm -hmm. and so I think that's why the stakes were you know higher just more important at the time and the other part about being live was you know if something happens we did have you know we had someone there with like a delay button to be able to like halt the thing if something weird came out or just you know uh, happened that wouldn't be appropriate for kids but that's the other thing is like in the live space you're as anything is it's, some things are unpredictable mm -hmm. and you're trying to keep it all running but the excitement is is that like you can just react in real time you yeah. can have a rapport with the audience and the two co-stars um i for that part of that time i was a puppeteer and i puppeteered one of the characters so you have a little bit of like things are loosely scripted and in a live setting you can kind of like stick to that but also have little things that you didn't know were going to happen and they will never happen again so that's the exciting part about live television or live anything is that anything can happen and it's it's really in that moment that it's special right that must be so exhilarating just like not knowing what's going to happen but also hoping that like it all works out and i'm pretty sure it always like turns out great <laughs> yeah. yeah oh uh, uh, <laughs> uh turns out great is, is maybe a bit uh, you know but it it turns out you know but um no no it definitely was and you know the the biggest thing too is like when it's done i think i've gotten so used to and maybe that's why i gravitated towards comedy too when i say you know the, when i talked about the adjectives is that when it comes to live television if you mess up that's it. You can't. Yeah. In the future, you could say, OK, well, we learned something. Let's let's do this to try to mitigate that and not mm -hmm. have it happen again. But you can't go back in time and, and re-edit that moment that just hit the airway. So if you if you sit there and like beat yourself up too much, that's that's fruitless. Like yeah. you're not going to be able to change what just like mm -hmm. happened. Um, so I think working in live television, the other exhilarating thing is that when you're done, you, it's done and you walk away and it's finished. When it comes to pre-taped stuff, you could, you could edit something a million different ways. Mm -hmm. And some days I have. So when you're, and you're sending that out to all these people to get approved and, you know, sign off and looked at, and someone says, oh, move this over like two inches this way. Oh, you know, can you change the color on that? Ooh, this song isn't just right. Ooh, can you, you know, and you send it and you do all those things. Mm -hmm. And then you send it back out and you're like, this is done, right? And they're like, oh, you know what? Actually, I noticed this shot's not working for me. Could you find a better shot and put it in there? And you're like, this is now the final, 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 third, final, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to the editing and the, the having people like get their say and put in the input in it, mm -hmm. it gets a bit like dizzying sometimes. Mm -hmm. When it's live, you're just like, whoop, sorry, it happened, you know? <laughs> and you're like, yeah. well, yeah. it happened live, sorry, can't change it. Yeah. So that's the exhilarating and exciting thing about right. live. This is done, can't change, you can't touch it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's so cool, just like the thrill of like live anything, like even like being in, at a Broadway show or a play, mm -hmm. comedy, like you mentioned. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because that's one thing I was 
wondering about too when we see like all of these Netflix specials about mm-hmm. comedians um, who perform their stand up and they've recorded for Netflix. It kind of like takes away the experience of the live energy in the room, right. but also it's giving more of a platform for other people who may not be able to access these comedy shows in their hometown. So it's kind of that like juxtaposition, for sure. yeah. For sure, mm-hmm. and I think and the the idea of watching something on a platform like Netflix, it's w- very well produced. It, yeah, it's live for the theater, but they might cut it in a way, or there are times where they'll do pickups. So you're not necessarily getting a truly live experience. But mm-hmm. you're right for people living away from a, anywhere where big comedies happen, it might not be easy to always get out to these types of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What's amazing is that you were nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award yeah. for Outstanding Preschool Children's Series. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what was this experience like? The time that, um, you know, we got nominated the first time mm-hmm. and we all went out uh, to L.A. We went out for the awards, you know, a- as a, you know, as a group. And it was really cool because we had been working on this all together for such a long time. Mm-hmm. It was like the first time of getting some real recognition. You know, what I was proud of is that we were up against Sesame Street. We were nominated in the same category as Sesame Street and Sesame Street crushes it every year because <laughs> they sh- as they should. But I think just being uh, acknowledged to even be in the same like echelon as the goat, the you know, of kids media and kids mm-hmm. television, and having worked alongside of the same people, um, you know, when they sort of partnered with us for some other things, uh, was was huge. And I and I think it was one of those things that I, you know, it's cliche to say like it was just nice to be nominated, but it was in that case. Like we we didn't win, but we didn't. <laughs> We didn't expect to. We we were excited to to be like considered in that same mm-hmm. category. I know yeah. you produce a show called Unwashed Comedy. Yeah. And you promote a lot of Asian American comedians. So why do you think it is so important to kind of give this visibility? I started that two year about two years ago, and yeah, it started as just uh, just a stand up show. And yeah, at the time, part of it was me, you know, trying to put myself out there as an Asian American face and voice a little bit more. Um, because I'd always been behind the camera, I was trying to understand and and see what other Asian Americans were doing in it. It's important now, especially because we've got a little bit of momentum and a little bit of a spark. So I think any uh, little bit helps in terms of putting just the idea in people's brains. And I know, I know, there's the argument that can be made about, um, you know, the idea of an all Asian show can get a little bit almost like an echo chamber sometimes or even just the idea of like you know people wanting to stand on their own background and merit separate of race and I know that that's valid and important too I think that what I try to do with with unwashed comedy and now night market the version is that when people come on and ask like oh should I do a lot of Asian material or or should I do an Asian song I'm like if you want to but you don't have to if you've never talked about your Asian background before, don't make this the place that you do. Mm -hmm. I I sort of say it's about showing Asian performers of all kinds and all backgrounds. If that's your thing that you come on and you're like Asian pride and the whole thing and that's Mm -hmm. it, great, fine. But I wouldn't ask anyone to prepare something like, this is an Asian American show, by the way, guys, so you better bring it with the Asian American content. Mm -hmm. And I don't even say like the crowd, the crowd has been, sometimes it's been a heavy Asian American, other times it's been pretty 50 50 split of all you know races or you know distributed but I don't think that's the the measure of success and what I'm necessarily trying to do it's just more of like here's some Asian Americans out there that have been doing stuff that you haven't seen before or maybe you have but here they are in this context Mm -hmm. and the other part of reason I think it's cool is because 
any show, no matter what the show is, only has so many slots. You really find it hard, and I've talked to other Asian comedians before where they'll be like, yeah, I've never gotten put on a show with this other guy that I know because they're like, oh, we already got one. We got, mm -hmm. it's cool. We, mm -hmm. we can't put on two. That would be crazy, you know, <laughs> which is sad, but whatever. So I think that's why shows like this, and not just Asian American shows, but, um, you know, a lot of theme shows are coming up now. Mm -hmm. I think all these shows are happening as a response to say when there's apparently, according to other people, not enough space on every show, it's like, all right, well, we'll make our own space. We'll make this space mm -hmm. and give it a shot and see what happens, you know, hoping that it does something it moves the needle somewhere i feel like i can see the evolution nowadays with more asian american comedians on screen like yeah with ali wong as you mentioned or ronnie chang who was on your show too yeah hassan minaj and even bo and yang on snl yeah i think it's awesome and gives yeah. so much more representation for asian american comedians who want to be on that stage for sure yeah. for sure and why do you think stand-up comedy has now become a more prominent form of storytelling i think a lot of people see themselves in the same way that stand-up comics sometimes just vent a frustration or talk about um, something that's just weird or, you know, those things people can relate to. They've had similar thoughts and that's why there's a collective laugh when something is relatable because everyone's like, oh, I thought that too, ah, you know, but I couldn't say it in that perfect way. But there's still that touch point of being like, but yeah, I had that thought. And I think that's the connection and why people get connected to stand-up comedians is because it is such a human experience of like these are the things we we all took the subway you know in new york like we all take the subway here's a story about that or dating weird right you know <laughs> so all these things people start to get like yeah you're right or you know and i think if you've ever made someone laugh mm -hmm. you know how great that feels you know how much of a connection that is so if you've just like said something you know spontaneously or or said a joke and you've made a person that you care about or are into or just like you respect and they laugh oh it's just like amazing <laughs> yeah. it's the best thing on earth no i think there's something so cool about that the whole thing about like universality and relatability like no matter where you come from or who you are um there are like certain things that people will just be like yes i understand that and i that's a fully human experience that i just really um resonate with what would you define as career happiness I think with any career, it's just that you feel like you're either doing something of substance or learning something or moving towards something or growing in some way. And I think that is career happiness because there are times where I didn't realize that I was happy and satisfied at a certain point until after and I really like reflected on what what was it what made it that way and i think it was that part of it that was the x factor is that you were you were figuring some stuff out i think true happiness comes from a feeling of being able to take some risks and do that stuff you're always going to be anxious about that stuff which is understandable but i think when you truly get to a point you're like all right i can survive taking this risk and if it fails i can figure it out I think being comfortable with those moments and still feel like you're pushing and moving, that to me is the true happiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and in terms of your own career journey, what would you say is maybe a particular moment that was a highlight? And what do you think it was about that moment that really reminded you how either satisfied or happy you were with the path that you chose? I wish I had a more like lofty answer, but the first thing that came <laughs> to my mind is I... Um, when I was first starting out as a production assistant, 
Uh, one of my things was I, I used to have to get um, lunch for the editors in the, you know, in the production studio area. So every day I would go and take the lunch orders and go get them and bring them back. And then once I started like working and a couple years after eventually getting to like the level of like a, an associate producer. And one of those jobs and duties was to sit in and edit with someone, an editor, and like kind of give notes or look over a cut of something and like work on it with them the editor leaned back and was like oh hey did you did you want some lunch we're we're, we're gonna put in an order for lunch and i was like you me i can get i can order lunch. <laughs> he's like yeah yeah what do you want we'll we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up well, I'm, I'm putting the order in now and this intern a pa came into the room and was like hey guys what do you want and i was like uh and they gave me a menu and i was like oh I'll, can i get us a, a drink too and they're like yeah 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 get whatever you want and i was like oh my god i'll get and i'll get chips and blah, blah, blah. so and then they you know brought the lunch in i think the first time that i ever got to order lunch um as like a associate producer do you have maybe any advice for someone who is unhappy with their current job or wish to fulfill another career path find that thing after work mm -hmm. find that thing that if you're not happy with what you're doing right now just find something that clears the head or gives you something else to focus on or learn and then see where it goes see what happens yeah, that's really good advice, especially, yeah. you know, for both of us being still in college. That's great. Yeah. So thank you so much, Edwards, for sitting down with us and sharing your story. Yes. Thank you for asking me, guys. You know, it's really it's really great. And I appreciate, you know, anyone that thinks something I've done is is, is relevant or significant. <laughs> is That's very sweet. That's that's I always am, am humbled and it's very sweet to, to, to do. Yeah. Welcome to The Debrief, where we discuss our own perspectives on the interview and apply some of our own experiences and background to the conversation. So, Ed! Yeah, I thought that was a great interview, having Ed on the show. I love all our guests, but Ed's career path is really something that I really want to pursue, being a versatile artist as a director, a producer, and a writer at NBC. So I thought this was really interesting and very insightful for me as someone who wants to work in that sort of career path. What about you? That's so true. I think with a lot of our interviewers, it's more like me observing what they do or just like being able to step foot in what they do. But what I really enjoyed about Ed's interview was it felt more conversational because we both also have limited but a little bit of experience and knowledge of the entertainment industry. And it was amazing to be able to yeah. talk to someone who really made it in that industry. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. So are there any takeaways from the interview that you would like to share? I think that there are so many. I think one that resonated with me was when he talked about how there really is no better or worse job out there. When he meets people who are in, you know, finance or something and they're kind of like, oh, it's nothing. I just work at Deloitte or something, which is amazing for anyone who works there. Um, but he had this kind of perspective on life of uplifting all occupations and jobs and understanding that the only reason why we have different jobs is because we have different skill sets and mm -hmm. different passions. And you can't look down on a job in the same way you can't look up to a job in a weird way. I think uh, that's really inspiring for me because sometimes I think there's a pressure to go into a certain job field, but knowing that it's okay that you're not pursuing what everyone else is pursuing and what is considered uh, conventionally successful, mm -hmm. although in Ed's case, I would say he's very successful, but pursuing something that maybe is not conventionally successful as a career is still a worthy and valuable career. Yeah, 100%. And I think that really ties in with the motto of the podcast, as unconventional as it is, if you have the passion for it, and if you have an expertise on it, I think it can travel with you 
further to what people expect of you and defying that expectation is something that we really try to encourage and we try to showcase on our podcast so i love ed for doing that another thing that is related to breaking boundaries that ed does is ed talks a lot about asian representation in the media and i loved how he used the word underdog as a connotation for a lot of things that embody him as an artist as well as asians in the media so culturally we can see a lot of emerging asian movies like the farewell and mulan and last night was the oscars and we saw that parasite won for best foreign film and best picture which i think is awesome absolutely amazing amazing and bong also won for best, best director. director which is awesome so i think definitely there's so much more representation and the evolution of representation is getting much better. We can see these Asian characters as strong and motivated and not just based on the model minority or illiterate or, you know, through maybe like yellow face and stuff like that. So I'm proud of the way it has evolved and grown, but I do think there's still so much to be done. But through his shows like Unwashed Comedy and Night Market, I think this is a fascinating way to sort of embody your heritage and your culture through these shows but i love especially the idea that he created this platform not for them to be identified by their race but just a platform because there has been such limited space for asians and a lot of other shows if there's already one asian sometimes it's like the space is already filled up and they can't have another asian so this is a great way for these amazing talented people to be showcased but not just identified based on their identity but based on their comedic acts so props to ed for that really you hit it right on on the dot because like you mentioned media representation is getting to this point where it's really been progressing and something that i've noticed in media recently is the the normalizing of asian american characters like for example the farewell it's not known for being an Asian American movie, although it does have primarily Asian American characters. Mm -hmm. It's known because of its quality storytelling and beautiful visual aesthetics. Mm -hmm. In the same way, Parasite has been recognized for really being a great story that is uh, thematically talking about the difference in social class. It even goes into environmental uh, social issues and the responsibility of um, a society mm -hmm. <clears throat> to be addressing these things. Um, and I think in a similar vein, Ed does a great job of really exposing different audiences to performers who are just good at comedy, mm. who are good at what they do, and they happen to be Asian American. And I yeah. think that normalization is a really huge step in getting accurate media representation. Mm -hmm. I actually loved that story when he was talking about wearing the Ghostbusters t-shirt to work and how this one person at his office was like hey uh, i was actually on the set of the original ghostbusters and then ed was just inspired then and there listening to his stories of how he was interacting with all the actors and how the camera operated how the writers visualized the scenes i think it's so inspiring to be able to have these open conversations with people who've already experienced what we want to experience in the entertainment industry and the fact that it only takes one conversation for you to truly be encouraged to follow what your heart truly desires as cheesy as that sounds but we need that we need more storytelling we need more uh, honest conversations with each other especially those who share the same interests and passions but on the flip side, if you're already in the industry and maybe established, being able to reach out a hand oh, yeah. and being able to offer that 30-minute conversation. Just like Ed is doing. 
Exactly. And potentially changing the career tra- trajectories of those people. So I think mm-hmm. that's great. And um, speaking of kind of the small moments that define us or yeah. define a future um, in a certain industry, I love the story about lunch because it oh felt... Oh my God, yes. Yeah, it <laughs> just felt very full circle. Just the fact that, you know, there he was an intern and I think we're both interns. So we kind of understand <laughs> this part of the story. You're getting lunch, you're taking the orders, you're doing things, but you're excited because you're doing it in an industry you're passionate about. And then... The day that they take your order, it just, it feels so momentous. Yeah, exactly. I was really excited just now because every time someone asks me about a memorable podcast story, I always talk about that lunch story that Ed was telling us about. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. it's the smallest moments that take up the biggest significance in our in our journeys. Yeah, and last but not least, I love how Ed was talking about career happiness and with any career, doing something of substance will sort of instill this anxious feeling in you but it's comforting to know that that anxious feeling is you growing in some way and challenging yourself when you feel uncomfortable because as he mentions true happiness means to take some risks you're always going to be anxious but surviving by taking that risk means being comfortable with those moments because you're still pushing and moving forward so I feel like the more you expose yourself to that kind of feeling the more resilient and the more brave and challenged you'll be yeah I think life is made in the uncomfortable or challenging moments and I think the sooner that people become confident in being uncomfortable it's in those moments where they can really grow themselves and learn a new side of themselves Mm -hmm. so I think that's definitely true and I think it's in those moments that you challenge yourself that you could reach something great Mm-hmm. and something that has a legacy and that will last and I think one of the big things Ed talked about was um, being nominated right for daytime yeah. Emmys and mm-hmm. he realized the significance of that when he realized that they're in the same category as Sesame Street right. and just realizing that wow we've worked hard on something and we've reached a point where we are in the same space as a show that you admire or a person you admire or a place that you just really wanted to be Mm -hmm. I think that is also satisfying and also could be part of career happiness obviously the award in itself might not be the the pinnacle but being able to say that you were you reached a point where you wanted to be Mm -hmm. I think that's a good pinnacle a hundred percent going back to Bong that's like when he was talking about Martin Scorsese in his Oscar speech to be nominated alongside your personal hero. I think that's fantastic. And Ed is the same way. His show Sunny Side Up being nominated against Sesame Street, which is one of the greats, one one of the goats for children's television. <laughs> no, no, I just like that Martin Scorsese is Sesame Street in this example. <laughs> it like really tickled me. Yeah, I mean, in a way. <laughs> no, but uh. But yeah, I, 100% I agree with you. I think being able to be nominated alongside someone or something that has inspired your work, I think is such a great achievement and something so inspiring because I feel like thinking about that is so out of reach. But Ed shows that with perseverance and with hard work, you can go to great lengths, especially with something that you truly care about. If you want to find out more about Edward and his work, check out his website, epopski.com or check out his Instagram at epopski. If you want to find out more about this program or listen to previous episodes, check us out on wnyu.org or our Instagram at swdydpodcast. 
If you want to get to know us more, follow us on Instagram at Arnell Ariana and at It's Just Joanna. Thank you so much for tuning into So What Do You Do? I'm Joanna Yamakami. And I'm Arnell Ariana. Join us again next week for another episode.